Good morning. This morning in the paper, I read that one of the great figures from the Kennedy administration, Ted Sorensen, had been nearly booed off the stage at commencement SUNY Oswego for daring to express some critical concern about the current administration. Of course, most of the students who were booing him were born long after JFK, and probably some of the parents as well. Then I read a few days ago some young people in their 20s were interviewed and one young woman in San Francisco was quoted as saying, the people who have perpetrated the atrocities on the prisoners in Iraq are me. In other words, we, each one of us, is responsible, has the capacity for such acts. As I have quoted in the past when asked, how is it that you can completely give your life to such unselfish work? Mother Teresa replied, because of the Hitler in me. Then I also read a very small paragraph on the front page the other day, a statement from the Vatican saying, bad as 9-11-01 was for the United States, these recent occurrences in Iraq put us in an even more troubled condition. Now, you may say, well, at every point throughout beginningless time, there have been circumstances that have been extremely harmful. And from the broad vista, indeed, Everything is fine, and this is true. At the same time, we are the temporary occupants of these rice bags we are so fond of, that we call our bodies, that we identify with, that we truly don't believe are on their way out, most of us think, oh, I'm not going to die today. How many of you agree with that statement? I'm not going to die today. Yeah, most, most people do, whether you want to admit it or not. <laughs> this is a real problem, real problem. As Gellick Rinpoche once put it, you may go to the hospital and be cured of your illness, and then on the way home you may killed be killed in a traffic accident. Okay, bye-bye. So we are in these bodies. We are 
given this extraordinary opportunity to live true human lives because of our wonderful karma we are here we are practicing together you may think your karma is pretty miserable because you can fill in the blank the more you practice the more acutely aware you become of how really unworthy you are of this human body and this human life, all right? And at the same time, because of our wonderful karma, we have this maybe messed up human form, this amazing opportunity. So we have to ask ourselves each day, what have I offered? How have I given myself away? How have I sealed myself into my little bubble of karmic garbage, thinking it's real? That's who I am. So both things are in need of careful, discerning reflection every day. For many years, Tricycle Magazine has been publishing, and after the first few issues, I pretty much gave up on it. This is volume 13. Recently, a new editor took over, and I must say, this issue is really good. I must have said some negative things about it in the past. <laughs> okay, all those things wipe out. You see the cover? Tibetan monks really understand about this interesting paradox of desire and exploitation. So here we have a bunch of monks looking over a BMW. Some of you are old enough to remember. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Janice. And so, you know, we have this dualistic thinking going on. Oh, I have to renounce. And what is renunciation? Well, it certainly is not spending money on a BMW or not even advertising such a thing. But there's an interesting article among many in this issue devoted to the riddle of desire. There's an interesting article by Stephen Batchelor called On Living with the Devil, a Buddhist take on good and evil. So the devil in Buddhism is called what? Mara. Mara. So he says, Buddha and Mara are figurative ways of portraying a fundamental opposition within human nature. While Buddha stands for a capacity for awareness, openness, and freedom, Mara represents a capacity for confusion, 
closure and restriction. To live with the devil is to live with a perpetual conflict between one's Buddha nature and one's Mara nature. When Buddha nature prevails, fixations ease and the world brightens, revealing itself as empty, contingent, and fluid. When Mara nature dominates, fixations tighten, and the world appears opaque, necessary, static. So basically nothing wrong with a BMW, unless we think it is opaque, necessary, and static. Nothing wrong with anything, unless we think it's opaque, necessary, and static. Nothing wrong with any one of you, unless you think you are opaque, necessary, and static. In other words, you think you'll still be here tomorrow. This is what it means, right? Static, fixed form. William Blake evokes a similar opposition in the marriage of heaven and hell. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern, William Blake. And Bachelor goes on, Buddha nature and Mara nature are inseparable. Like a valve that can either be opened or closed, this organism has the capacity to unfold Buddha or shut down Mara. This organism, what is this organism? This organism, we think, I'm over here, you're over there. So in this we think, oh, opaque, static, shut down. So as I said in the beginning, from the broad perspective, there is nothing static. There is always arising cruelty and injustice. There is always arising compassion and kindness. And each one of us doing this practice is experiencing the inseparability so, when something occurs, I hear some interesting things from people. So, today I said something, oh, this is wrong, you know, I noticed something, oh, this is a little bit awry or something like that. Oh, somebody says, oh, I didn't do it. And then because this person is deep practitioner, this person realized immediately what, oh, I can't believe I said that. 
So how wonderful our practice is that we are able to catch ourselves in the act of shutting down, to catch ourselves in the act of throwing the blame elsewhere. At that very moment, change, transformation, beginning again. This is our practice. We never have it all sealed up. So many of you are at a point where you think, oh, thank God, I finished my rakasu. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's over with. The experience of sowing the rakasu is really this experience of inseparability. Hmm? Inseparability. You can really see it. Oh, that stitch doesn't belong. Oh, no, I I got this all completely backwards. Oh, this is completely not lined up. It's all uneven. I have to tear it out. How many hours did I put into this? Wonderful. Inseparability. Nothing static. No opacity. One stitch. Another stitch. Kanji Another stitch. Another stitch. Returning, returning, returning to our essential inseparability. It's only when we understand this that we can engage, engage in this fleeting world filled with suffering. If we think we have the moral high ground, watch out. This is to follow the precepts, to understand the Hitler in me. This is compassion. So since I gave a reprieve to Tricycle, now I will do something equally dangerous and praise a book. A number of the books that I have, I have so many little pieces of paper and underlinings A number. Maybe on one hand I could count them. This one has more little papers stuck in it than any book in my library. And it's called The Path to Bodhidharma, The Teachings of Shodo Harara Roshi. And this teacher is Shonen's teacher. His temple is Sogenji. And he says about compassion some interesting things. Unless you realize this clarified place, you will be acting from a conception of what compassion is rather than from true compassion. In other words, this inseparability. How do you go about realizing the clear mind that is within all of us? It has to be truly encountered and expressed all the time. 
not just in one experience that solves your problems for the rest of your life, but by knowing where to return to, how you can teach that clarified mind. Then, as constantly as you are able, you can stay in that clear mind, capable of naturally expressing true compassion. If we engage in, this is me talking, not Haraoshi, if we engage in social justice work from a muddied mind, a mind that is filled with our own narrow and limited views, we can really cause great harm. This is so important because there is such need for us to be engaged. We cannot just sit here and say, oh, well, in many kalpas from now, there will be other situations like this, and all we have to do is just sit. It's true. All we have to do is just sit. And from this just sitting, go out. And when you see someone who has fallen, pick him up and carry him, as Laurie Anderson said. Love, Harara Roshi says, love rather than hate, compassion rather than narrow-mindedness, will evolve naturally from a state of clarity, which brings forth the wisdom to express those things in the moment. I dare say many of us have been moved through our natural empathy by others suffering to want to do something to ameliorate it to reach out. So really think about the importance of this Zen practice. Empathy can come pretty easily to sensitive individuals like yourselves. Very open, very deep sensitivity and feeling. Clarity is hard one, hard one. We talk about bone grinding practice. All of us want the easy way out. It's human nature to want things to be comfortable. So Mara tempts, no need to do that, that difficult thing. You can get by with a little less. Five days of session, that's a lot. It's probably going to be uncomfortably hot. You can just go for two. You have such a busy schedule. Many things are going to be coming up for you. <laughs> How can you possibly commit to five days of bone grinding practice. This kind of thinking is Mara, okay? It's not some sort of, you know, struggle out there between God and Satan. <laughs> God and Satan are right here in every thought. And in every thought, the more we sit, 
letting go of thoughts, the more each thought is indeed the lotus land of purity, opening right here, right now. The more we sit, the more we examine, the more we reflect, the more we say with all our heart the verse of purification. How many of you say this verse every morning and every evening without fail? How can you imagine doing this practice without this? Must say, must live, must embody this verse of purification. At minimum, when you wake up and when you go to bed. Better still, every single moment, verse of purification. So that you can realize that in this evil karma, in this flash of recognition that you are blaming someone else, is none other than your own true compassion. Because if you didn't have this, then you would not be in human form. You would be a wonderful little god sitting in Tushita heaven, no problem. <laughs> we are so fortunate that we are not in Tushita heaven, okay? We are here to do this work with our problems, to realize that we are not identity with problem. This is not who we are. So this, this is identity, okay? So you think you are such bad person. This is wanting a BMW, asking, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Identifying with your problems is just like that. Remember, fluid. This shunyata conditionlessness of our lives, inseparability. We have no idea. Did you get it? We have no idea, fundamentally. So we are free. So don't identify with whatever you think is wrong with you. The great unspoken secret of Zen practice, I often speak, the great unspoken secret is the joy that wells up when you can taste this freedom from identification. So purification creates great joy. Joy extends outward, naturally, with no concept, no idea of I am a person who is doing something about the terrible state of the world. No such stinky thought. So, again, as we did on Thursday, let us chant 
the Metta Sutta offering to all those, particularly in Iraq, but everywhere without exception. The Hitler in each one of us, the Buddha in each one of us, inseparable. 